The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball, live from Crush City Studios. Uh, my guest today is Dell Scott, 33 years, an umpire in Major League Baseball, 40 overall, and is the author of the book, The Umpire is Out. Dell, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So I was looking at your career, just your MLB career, 1986. Is when you started. I'm 51 years old, and I was in ninth grade. <laughs> that, that is a long career. Yeah, uh, I'm just uh, just short of 4,000 games. In fact, if I hadn't gotten uh, hurt and, and and retired a couple of years earlier than I had planned, I would have uh, easily exceeded 4,000 games, which is a pretty big milestone. Um, there's, I think, only three umpires that have uh, three or four have over 5,000. Of course, Joe West just broke that record uh, this past uh, year. But then, uh, you know, 4,000 is another milestone. Because with with replay and everything now, you're going to have – and time off compared to uh, in the past. Uh, umpires just aren't going to work, you know, as many games. They just won't be on the field as much, even in a long career. So uh, I was hoping to get that 4,000, but uh, baseball to the face uh, changed my mind on that one. <laughs> I see in your bio on Twitter – you know, 3,897 games, which you're talking about now. Three World Series. You got to umpire three World Series, three All-Star games, 91 postseason games. How much of an honor is it to – do they pick you to do the – I mean, the World Series? Yeah, yeah. Everything's um, – uh, anytime you work postseason or an event, an event like uh, the All-Star game – uh, it's the supervisors that for the postseason they 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 look at your entire uh, body of work for that season, um, both you know the good and the bad, <laughs> and uh, they get together. Uh, all the supervisors get together in uh, early September, and uh, uh, everybody you know gets a list together. You're gonna have I, I I'm not quite sure what it is now, but there are 
76 umpires on staff, and I think you use somewhere um, uh, 40-something for the all, all of postseason. I, I could be wrong on that number. Um, but so, the, you know, and then there's guys that are hurt that can't work or uh, only worked – uh, the last part of the season because they were hurt earlier or whatever that that'll uh, aren't eligible. So you have all those factors to take in, and then they just uh, make up the crews uh, for for the postseason. The the seven umpires that work in the World Series uh, also worked in the divisional round. They come from that round, so they'll be working uh, uh, you know two different series. So you called one thousand games behind the plate. Exactly 1,000, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. How difficult is it to be behind the plate compared to the other positions? Well, you know, uh, every every position out there has its uh, quirks, has its challenges, but obviously behind the plate, you're you're running the game. You're 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 calling or uh, you know ready to call any every pitch, unless it's uh, you know hit or whatever. Um, and so you know you you obviously are focused. Uh, uh, pitch by pitch by pitch. Now on the bases, you have to be focused too. But actually, that's a little bit more of a challenge, especially if you if you have third base and maybe a, a very quiet game, meaning not a lot of base runners, not a lot going on. And um, but you got to be ready because all of a sudden that ninth inning, you have that uh, pole bender, or you have that catch no catch, or something, and uh, or a play at third with uh, you know the, the go ahead run or whatever. And you better be ready for it. So uh, that's a real mental challenge. But um, I think working, uh, calling balls and strikes. At the major league, what well, any level, frankly, because it's tough. But but at the major league level, is unbelievable. It could be one of the toughest things uh, officials do in in in, in sports. Uh, basketball is a real tough. I, I I refereed basketball and football at the high school level for about eighteen years. Um, you know, basketball is is tough. It's 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 in a confined area with a lot of big people in a small space, and there's fans all over you. And um, and basketball, a, a ton of judgment. You know. Uh, uh, advantage, disadvantage. Uh, there could be contact, you know, substantial contact and maybe not a foul and hardly any contact. And you do have a foul. So, I mean, it's all judgment and everybody's got judgment. Uh, so mm-hmm. basketball is definitely a very difficult game to call, but just working the plate and calling pitches in a three-dimensional, um, uh, you know, zone that you have to call that is different for every hitter as far as high and low. Um, and of course these pitchers that, uh, uh, make these baseballs do magical things. Um, uh, it's just, it's a very difficult uh, thing to do. And it's one that, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of years of experience of just seeing pitches and seeing pitches and seeing pitches to to refine it and, and just get better at it. What are your thoughts about potentially someday in the future going to robo-umps? Well, <laughs> um <laughs> I think there's some some real issues there besides the nuts and bolts of 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 the actual you know calling pitches. Um, you know the way it's set up now uh, when they've used it in the uh, the Atlantic League and uh, uh, in other places that they've tried it out. You still have a plate umpire, and you'll you'll always need a plate umpire. You have you have you know decisions to make that aren't ball strike decisions that have to be made. You know the ball hit the hitter or the or he, uh, you know the foul ball in the box or whatever whatever there might be you know fair fouls those kind of things interference and stuff. But um, he's got to also go down for every pitch with the earpiece in and focus like he's going to call the pitch. 
in case there's a glitch in the uh, in the equipment during that pitch, and it happens once in a while, or it happened once in a while in the Atlanta League, and that's 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 really kind of a tough thing to do, to focus every pitch, not calling the vast majority of them, but then all of a sudden in the ninth inning with a couple runners on, they go, oh, it it, it glitched, call it, you know, now, now you've got to you know you've got to call it. The other thing is, I'm not sure how they do this, but I mean, you have a slight delay, and what if you have runners running on a three-two pitch? Uh, you know, is the catcher going to wait till you get the signal? Is he just going to go ahead and throw, and it ends up being a ball, and he throws it out in the uh, outfield when he didn't really need to throw it? I, you know, I don't know how they're going to work that out. You know, I, I kind of think that if if they do use the uh, automated strike zone, they instead of calling every pitch, they may go to a system where, and I, I'm just this is my opinion. I have no idea, but they may go to a system where actually the umpire does call it uh, all game. But the managers will have, you know, X amount of challenges. So if there is a close pitch that they um, question uh, in, a, in a key situation, they can then challenge that pitch. That way, you're still – the flow of the game and what – you know, how we've always played this game and officiated this game would be basically the same. It's just you would have the opportunity to challenge certain, you know, whatever number of pitches or however it's going to be set up. So that, uh, you know, hopefully if there is a mistake made in a key pitch, that can be corrected. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all works out. I, I like replay. I mean, I like what they've done with replay uh, for many reasons. We can talk about that if you want to. But uh, but as far as having the uh, automated strike zone call every pitch of every game, I'm just not sure how that's going to work. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it, but the way you put it, you know, using it as sort of like a replay, right? It could be it could be a huge game right. where the guy could strike out, but umpire calls it a ball and he walks. Then the next guy hits a home run and the other team wins. So that's actually a pretty good idea. Well, I I think it, it what it does is it, it it gives you the chance to correct you know errors uh, or at least perceived errors by uh, by a team in a, in a key situation. But it doesn't really affect the flow for the vast majority of the game. You just still yeah. have, you know, pitchers pitching and hitters swinging and, and umpires calling it. So, um, you know, to me, that makes a lot more sense than having every pitch called by this thing and having an umpire on standby. And again, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know how they do this slight delay thing. I mean, you know, when you have runners on and stuff, it's not fair to catchers, obviously. And yeah, um, I just I'm just not sure how it all works. But uh, if you had a challenge system, I think I think that might alleviate some of those problems. So you've umpired in every major league baseball stadium. Which ones are your favorite? Uh, you know, I was uh, had the opportunity to work uh, and see a lot of new stadiums go up. Uh, you know, starting around 1990, I think, or 91 when the uh, old Comiskey was uh, taken down and the new one was put up. Then, then just it seemed like every year. Every other year, there's at least one new stadium going in somewhere. Um, there's some great stadiums. Uh, I think Pittsburgh is beautiful. Uh, the, the the backdrop of the city and the way they had uh, set that ballpark up. Um, you know, there's good. I, I think really great uh, uh, ballparks in you know Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, uh, yeah, Minnesota's new park, especially when you consider the you know the Metrodome, which was uh, you know quite something. I worked a lot of, a lot of games there. <laughs> Um, you know, and the kingdom was like a tomb and, and, and right now the worst stadium's got to be Tampa. I mean, it's uh, arena baseball down there. It's just, you know, whatever rings it hits, uh, it's like you're at a circus or something. Um, but, uh, a lot of good stadiums, uh, really, I mean, you know, they, they, that they've done a good job. And, and, and then of course there's some classics, obviously you have Fenway and, and Wrigley, which are, 
uh, destination stadiums, even even non-baseball fans, uh, a lot of times will like to go to a game there just to just to see it. But uh, you know, there's a you know, Kansas City has a beautiful ballpark which was built in the early '70s, so it's uh, old, you know, compared to some of these. Dodger Stadium's a classic. I mean, it's been there since the early '60s. So, um, some really cool classic stadiums and some really nice. Uh, new ones. And I, I remember Houston, they were talking about when they built the, the new uh, Houston ballpark, and, I, and I'm not making this up, the, the, originally the the architect or somebody was envisioning, you know how in the center field the, the flagpole was in the field of play? Uh, I don't yeah. know if it still is, if they still do that. No. Right? Okay, yeah, I thought they might have changed it. but And there's that little, they used to have that little slope there at the, in center field. Do they still have that also? No, they, they took they that They got out. rid of that, okay. But it, when they originally were planning this thing, um, somebody... <laughs> Got a little bit too artsy, and they said, "Well, why, why can't we have you know the the the, the flagpole and a little slope, and maybe a maybe a little uh, little creek that goes through <laughs> water <laughs> water features like it's like miniature golf." And I, I I'm not sure if somebody uh, who uh, had that idea was really a baseball person. I think they were more of a uh, you know uh, conceptually that would be really cool. Yeah, it would be. It would also be a mess. Um, so <laughs> you know, that never yeah. quite flew. But uh, uh, you know, a lot of great stadiums. Um, that have come up in the last uh, 25, 30 years. Who are, who are some of the best umpires you worked with? Well, I worked, uh, you know, when I first came up, um, I worked with Don Denkinger, who uh, is an outstanding umpire. Um, uh, I had the chance to work with Larry McCoy uh, and uh, Larry Barnett, um, uh, which, you know, Larry Barnett is uh, – uh, I mean, he had a lot of huge games and just a, a, a just a great human being. I, I I worked five, I think five years with Richie Garcia, which uh, Richie was an outstanding umpire. Dave Phillips, um, you know, some of the guys we have, uh, uh, Steve uh, Palermo, Steve Palermo. I got to work with uh, one full season with him. It was a season before he got shot, so I was you know fortunate enough to to be able to work with uh, with him then. But um, and and now we have some really really outstanding good young umpires um, that are you know, working, you know, the, the, um, before I came up, uh, there was kind of a thought in baseball for a time period of, uh, the big, the bigger, the better, the bigger, the guys, the better they're, they're intimidating. You know, they won't, uh, they won't, uh, you know, get a lot of gruff from, uh, players and things because, you know, they're big guys. And, it, and you could see some of the hires in the, in the seventies, uh, um, you know, just pretty big guys. Well, then they, then they realized, well, maybe these big guys aren't the best, um, not necessarily their skills, but, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, eye test, so to speak, you know, some of these guys are pretty doggone big and they thought, ah, maybe that won't work. So then, uh, they kind of stopped with that. Um, but we're getting a lot of baseball has been consistently getting a lot of just really, uh, fine, fine individuals, a lot to, you know, highly educated. A lot of these guys have, have, uh, you know, college degrees and that kind of stuff. And they, and, uh, but they're very good at what they do, and uh, uh, you know, I'm just excited about the staff they have now, and, and some of the young. There's been a big turnover here in the last few years, and there's some really, uh, really, really good, competent, fun, uh, uh, you know, just good umpires. How difficult is the life of an umpire having to travel? And I mean, you pretty much travel just like the players do. Well, no, not quite. Uh, the players are home 81 games. Um, oh, you're it, gone all the time. Yeah. If I, <laughs> yeah, okay. for example, if I was in Houston, um, I may get six, maybe nine games there total of the whole year, if that. Um, the umpire schedule is so much different than a player. Like I said, they're home 81 dates. And then, you know, they'll be gone on a, 
maybe a two-week road trip, maybe, you know, give or take. Uh, it's not unusual for an umpire, depending on where you live. I live on the West Coast. I was in Portland. Um, so, you know, I can't get home on an off day from Toronto to Baltimore. I mean, you know, that's just uh, doesn't work out. So, I mean, there were times that I would be, I would go out on a, a four, five, six-week road trip. Um, I had some off days in that, but there were off days that just weren't compatible to, you know, I was always on the East Coast or whatever. As I got more seniority, I was able to, and then as, as I was a crew chief, I was able to pick, uh, we, we bid on our schedules at the beginning of the year. So I'd, I would, I would look at all the schedules and try to get a schedule that had, you know, more uh, West Coast games than some of the other ones, which worked out well because there weren't a lot of West Coast guys. There's a lot of Midwest, East Coast guys, so they didn't really necessarily want those schedules. So I was able to get home a little bit more. But yeah, you're on the road a lot. And uh, uh, from October, or excuse me, from March to October, basically, um, you're, and we have four weeks off during the season. Um, and, and that's, you know, people say, well, why do you need time during the season? I mean, you're off all off season. Well, that's true, but we're never home <laughs> during the season. Like, like I said, like a team is, um, so we, and you just kind of have to recharge a little bit because the other thing that is a big difference from, from the teams and the players is they, they fly, uh, fly charter. So if they have a, a Thursday night game in Houston, um, and it goes, you know, 15 innings or whatever, they got a plane waiting for them or, or they're somewhere else and there's a rain delay and the, and the game takes forever. They got a plane waiting for them. When they're done, boom, they go into the next city. We're always flying commercial. And, and uh, for night flight, for ga- flights after a game, you're just, they're just not there unless maybe if you're on the West Coast taking a red eye to the East. Otherwise, you got to, you know, get up the next morning. Now, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it, it's a whole different ball game when you're flying commercial, especially, you know, when I first started, Way before 9-11, uh, flying was a lot easier. Um, and, you know, once 9-11 hit with all the security and, and that kind of stuff, it's uh, sometimes, you know, I mean, we used to be able to have a afternoon, Sunday afternoon game that went a little long and still make flights, you know, just rush to the, you know, right to the gate, boom, boom, boom. And now uh, <laughs> you don't have that luxury because, you know, they're, they're, you have much more security, uh, security lines. Of course, we have pre-check and all that stuff, but still you know, sometimes those are held up. And then a lot of times, you know, they want you on board, you know, 15 minutes before, 10 minutes before, whatever it is, where it used to be, they, you know, you could run on right about when they were shutting the door. So things have changed in the travel, uh, travel wise also. So, so an umpire is not flying charter. He's flying a commercial. He's not getting home a lot, but again, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it is a, uh, it's a little bit of a different lifestyle. In the book, you said you were honest about players and managers and some weren't perfect gentlemen. (laughs) <laughs> Can you give me an example of one manager and one player? Well, um, yeah, I could probably give you several, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, this is a game of personalities. Um, there may be a, a manager that I get along with and, and the rest of my crew don't or vice versa, you know, and it's maybe it's because, uh, um, I had this guy in the minor leagues or maybe I had him as a player before he got into coaching and managing and that kind of stuff. There's all different reasons. Uh, for some reason, uh, for whatever it was, Cito Gaston, the uh, Toronto manager uh, in the um, in the '90s, you know, back to back World Series and everything, we just didn't get along. <laughs> I mean, I could say it's nighttime; he would say it's daytime. Uh, it, it just seemed like that we um, could not agree on much, um, and 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 you know, where other guys could got along with him fine. So, I mean, you just never know. Um, players, I. Uh, when I first came up, uh, <laughs> just about every player, because your first few years in the, in, in the big leagues, they are uh, testing you uh, constantly. Um, 
you know, let's say George Bell, if you want to go back uh, with Toronto, uh, 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 you know, uh, somebody more re- – well, uh, you know, guys that are tough to work on the mound. I mean, Roger Clemens, uh, you know, outstanding pitcher, right? But, man, he was tough to work because he basically wanted everything that left his hand. Um, so, you know, it was sometimes not as fair. You know, but for the the vast majority of players – are just there to do their job. They're, they're focused on that, and that's what they're doing. You've got a few on one side that are talkative and, and always kind of wanting to strike up a conversation. And then you have a few on the other side that basically they take, you know, personally every time you call them out on strikes or something, like it's a personal vendetta or something. I don't know. But uh, so, but, but the vast majority of the guys um, are just there focused on doing their job. They're very professional. You know, hey, Dale, how you doing? Uh, but uh, they're there to do a job just like we are. So the title of your book, The Umpire is Out, that refers to uh, you coming out as the first openly gay umpire in professional baseball. When did that happen and why did you decide to do that at that time? Yeah, I was the first active male official to come out in the the big five uh, sports. Um, you know, I started my career in professional baseball in the minor leagues, 1981, after umpire school in the uh, Northwest League. And I, in fact, my first game in the Northwest League was about two weeks uh, after uh, first reports of this mysterious illness uh, affecting uh, young men in San Francisco and New York. Well, of course, that bl- blew up into the AIDS epidemic of the 80s, uh, which, you know, uh, for a lot of people that didn't weren't alive then or whatever. It, it was, it was very scary. They didn't know what, what this was. Uh, they didn't know how it was spread. Um, there was a lot of false or, 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 you know, information just wasn't, you know, quite accurate. So, you know, I was starting uh, my professional baseball career in the minor leagues, trying to get to the big leagues, obviously trying to get to the next step as you move up the ladder. So I was, a fr- I didn't want anybody to know I was gay because I thought for sure that's, you know, they'll never promote me or, you know, I mean. They, yeah. Back then. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, and they won't say it that way. They'll probably just, you know, pencil with me on my evaluations and say, ah, you're just not cutting it and, you know, just, just go away. I mean, I don't know that, but that's why I assume. But then if you add to the fact that if, if I, if, if, if people found it, you know, people in baseball found out I was gay, with the HIV epidemic that's going on, there, there, there would be other umpires who wouldn't want to even work with me. You know, I mean, they wouldn't want to share a, a locker room or a hotel room or a car uh, because when you're in the minor leagues, especially the lower minor leagues, you are with your partner all the time. And, um, you know, so I, ha- so I had um, a lot of reason to, to uh, hide my sexuality uh, in my baseball life. Now, I, I was, re- uh, you know, leading a double life because – I wasn't a closeted man. I, at home, I was out to, you know, some friends, not everybody. I wasn't out to family yet. That came uh, later on. But but in other words, I wasn't just completely in the closet. I was in the closet during my baseball life, which in a way, it was kind of easy to do because I didn't work in the city that I lived in. I was in Eugene, Oregon. That's where I grew up. Uh, so, you know, I, I, when I would go in baseball, I was, I was on the road. So I wasn't around, you know, my normal, you know, friends or whatever. I didn't have to, you know, it, it was easier to hide uh the, uh, my sexuality then. But anyway, so that, you know, that was through the minor leagues. That was through, I got hired. I was in the American league. That's when they, uh, you know, National League American league umpires until uh, the year 2000. And, you know, I still, and I, you know, I'd met Michael, who's my husband now, but, uh, we've been together 35 plus years, but I met him right after my very first year in the big leagues in the, in October of, uh, of, uh, 1986. 
So I, you know, I had my life uh, with him and, and at home, and then I had my baseball life, and and I kept them separate, and I, you know, played the game uh, that society was, uh, you know, kind of forced on us at that point. Um, until you know, until about the late '90s, uh, I had a couple uh, guys that I've known a long time and worked with, just individually, just kind of randomly. Um, in spring training, I was talking to Daryl Cousins. He said, Hey, uh, you know, listen, I, I just want to say that I know you have a different lifestyle than, uh, than most of us. But he, he said, uh, you know what, you're, you're, I just want you to know that I'd walk on the field with you anytime. Uh, you know, you're a good guy. And, and I just want you to know that, that it doesn't bother that, that has no bearing on, on who you are in our relationship. And so I, you know, at first I was, you know, the shields were up because I was so used to, uh, you know, leading this double life, but eventually I could tell that you know my my shields weren't. People figured it out. Basically, is what, what was happening, and that. But that was a good thing because then I was able to loosen up a little bit and and then just be one of the guys. So when I when I actually came out publicly in 2014, um, the people that signed my checks, you know, the people I work for, Major League Baseball, they knew. Uh, the, the people I work with on the field, all the umpire staff, they knew. It was just. Uh, it was news to the media and the fans and the teams. Um, and it was like, like we had said earlier, it's, it was the first time. So, uh, a lot of publicity for a short amount of time. And then it was life, uh, as usual again. You mentioned that they had figured it out. How, how did they figure it out? Well, I think that, uh, <laughs> it probably didn't take a brain surgeon to know that, uh, you know, uh, I had the same roommate, um, and in the off season, uh, you know, yeah, my roommate and I went to Australia <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think just, um, uh, you know, at some point when you're in your early and then mid thirties and you've never been married and you really haven't, you've never really had a girlfriend or at least nobody knew of one if, if you did, um, you know, that usually brings up some questions and, uh, and I just, I just think that, you know, the people just figured it out, but what, what was nice is even though I was playing the charade still, um, you know, I had guys say, "Hey, it's cool. It's all cool. You don't have to. You don't have to. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just let let me know that it's okay, and 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 let's move on." And and that was the best thing that could have happened. So you usually traveled with a crew. Did right. did the guys you work with? Did they did they know? Well, not at first. I mean, uh, but um, it, it, it was it was finally the the ice was broken, so to speak. Uh, late nineties, early two thousands. I, I became a crew chief in two, uh, the end of the two thousand one season. Uh, my first full crew chief year was two thousand two, and I remember uh, I was with uh, Jimmy Joyce, um, Jeff Nelson, and Ron Culpa was my crew. And um, sometime in May, we were in San Francisco. We had a Saturday day game, so after the game, we we went out to uh, dinner in this restaurant, and uh, uh, I remember sitting, and we just had uh, the wine poured and stuff. And uh, Ron Culpa, who I worked with, I think, five uh, seasons, great guy. But Ron basically has no filter. He just says what he says. Um, <laughs> he, he said, uh, we're sitting down, and he goes, he goes, all right, Chief, uh, I, I'm just going to throw this out here, I'm, I, you know, the elephant in the room. We know you're gay. We don't care. I want to, you know, bust balls like we do with everybody during the season. I don't want to be, you know, walking on eggshells uh, about this topic. So just threw it out there. Well, you know, it was like, boom, uh, Jimmy Joyce grabbed the wine bottle and started drinking it, you know, <laughs> like, like it was in shock. And I think uh, Jeff Nelson uh, did a spit take with his, uh, you know, but uh, but no, but it broke it all open. And, and, and it, I'm glad Ron did it because it did just 
shatter that uh, you know that that elephant in the room, so to th- uh, so to speak. And and that was the beginning where where you know then 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 you can talk about it, then you can laugh about it, just like you would with any, anybody else, you know. And uh, um, and and so it, you know that's when it really uh, the the dam burst, so to speak, and and it was all out there within the ranks, obviously. You said you told your family last. How did they take it? You said well, they kind of found out later, right? Um, when I first started in the minor leagues, I wasn't out to my family. Well, I, I should take that back. My my, my younger brother, um, he knew, but um, it turns out my mom told me that I was gay <laughs> when I was about uh, I don't know twenty four. Um, was talking with her. I have a great relationship with my parents. They were still alive, ninety one and eighty eight. God bless them. Um, and, uh, we were talking, just kind of teasing whatever. And she goes, Oh, I know, I know all about you, Dale. And what I don't know, I have a good imagination. I said, Oh, okay, mom, well, you had a good imagination. Well, you tell me, tell me something about me. And, you know, and I thought, you know, it was going to be something, you know, trivial or whatever. And she goes, well, I, I know your sexual preference is men. And I just went, <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. And, uh, I, so I, I kind of laughed. I said, well, what makes you say that? And she goes, well, I, you know, I can put two and two together. So, so she had figured it out. Um, I didn't tell my dad uh, for a few years after, until a few years after that. But um, uh, and, and you know, and, and you know, like like some parents may do that. You know, they they uh, they may have a hundred things that says I think he's gay, but they keep that one thing that I you know had a, um, a female date to the prom. Well, he took a girl to the prom, so he can't be gay. There's no way. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. he just didn't want to. You know, didn't want to. Um, you know, believe it until it, until he just had to, but it all worked out. Uh, my family's great. Uh, Mike's family is great. And, uh, and, and so that's, uh, you know, I got to the point, Rob, where, where you know, especially when, when I came out in 2014, but even before that, uh, a little bit, I got to the point where, you know, <laughs> I, I know who I am. I'm happy with who I am. I'm, ha- I, I'm happy with my life. So if, you know, if somebody finds out that I'm gay, and they have a problem with it. It's kind of their problem. It's really not my problem, you know. I mean, that's because uh, I. This is something that's uh, that uh, you know doesn't bother me. So, um, but you don't have that attitude a lot of times early, uh, you know, when you're younger, especially when you're younger, growing up in the you know late seventies and the eighties. Uh, you you still aren't sure. You know, you you have you have friends that you think would be fine with it. But it's one of those things that once you throw it out there, you can't really take it back, you know. <laughs> it's like, I just kidding, you know. Um, so, so, so a lot of times you're reluctant to to drop that information because you're just not quite sure, a hundred percent, of you know how they're going to react. I think it's uh, not that it's not acceptable. You know what I mean? It's it's. I think it's easier now. Oh, it's, there's no doubt. It's, it's more socially acceptable now, and it's no for, doubt for the you know in yours, you know, talking about eighty five and. You know the AIDS right. and all that. I mean, that had to be that had to be super hard. Well, it was it was tough, and I and I and I uh, actively did things to kind of you know give the illusion that I that I wasn't gay. I, uh, one that I write about in the book. It's kind of funny. Is uh, uh, there's a in Arizona uh, Tempe, right right off the uh, edge of the uh, ASU campus. There used to be a bar, a little little bar there called Frank's Friendly Tavern, and uh, minor league umpires. We used to go there all the time. And some big league guys, you know, would go in and, and this and that. So uh, I was, I was just like my second year, it might have been the third year in the big leagues. I was spring training. And I, before I went down, I, I told Mike, I said, you know, I kind of want to throw the scent off a little bit with some of these guys. 
his he had a sister Mary who was about six months younger than me that was a flight attendant that lived in in Phoenix. And I said, "Do you think your sister would be cool?" And she was single at that time. And I said, "Do you think your sister would be cool if uh, she was my date? Uh, brought her the you know meet some of the guys." And I know that would <laughs> I know that would be you know throw them off. And he goes, I think she'd be fine with it. So I, so I called her and she, she thought that was a great idea. She, you know, she loved it. She was, she was, you know, we, I walk in with her and she's, you know, a beautiful woman. And, and, uh, and, you know, and of course all these guys are like, you know, who is this? Who is, you know, and why is she with Dale? Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was funny cause she, and she loved it because, you know, she's gotten, getting all this attention, but she, you know, she doesn't have to play defense. I mean, it's, uh, you know, everybody's going to, you know, just, uh, you know, she's my date. Um, and uh, I'll never forget uh, Billy Joe Speck, who was a, a friend of mine, went, went to Empire School the same year and had worked in the Cal League together. And um, he was in AAA. And I remember him saying, uh, kind of pulled me to the side a little later. He goes, Scotty, uh, who is this again? I said, well, yeah, my, you know, my roommate in Portland, this is his uh, sister. She she flies for uh, America West at the time. And and uh, he goes, and and how well do you know her? And I said, oh, very well, Billy, very well. You know, <laughs> so you know, he was like, he had this puzzled look on his face, like, really? <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, but again, it's a funny story. But that's what I was doing. I did something like that to um, just to make sure people weren't too, you know, if if and I'm not saying that people are all sniffing around trying to figure me out or whatever, but this yeah. was just a, a way to uh, just kind of throw everything out there, you know, and, and get them off the scent a little bit. And, uh, and that's how, you know, that's how I, I mean, I, in a way it's kind of pathetic now. Right. But that's, that's something that, uh, that I actually did back in, you know, 88 or whatever it was, because I, you know, I was afraid to be outed uh, in, in baseball because I, you know, I, at that time I was in the big leagues, but, you know, the, there's other, you know, other umpire partners who maybe would want to work with me. There's, you know, the the teams, whatever. I just didn't want that information out. Yeah. So you say that you were, you were building your relationship, but also you're on the road all the time. How right. difficult was it to maintain that relationship you were building? Well, it's tough. Um, you know, a lot of the guys have you know, are starting off, you know, have families and stuff and you're missing, you're missing little league games or you're missing ballet uh, recitals or, or whatever. Cause you're, you know, you're gone, you're gone all the time. It seems like, um, for me, uh, you know, I met Mike, uh, October of, of 86. I just finished my first year in the American league. My next game wasn't until March. I, I mean, basically I met him for the entire off season. So, and you know, uh, I was trying to, explain to him, um, this is all fun. We're all, you know, he worked, uh, he, he was uh, managing a restaurant, but, uh, I said, this is all, it's all great. You know, we're just having a lot of fun. You know, I'm not working. And blah, blah, blah. I said, you have, you do realize when March comes, I'll be gone for weeks at a time, you know, trying to, trying to get him to understand that this isn't like this all the time. Um, and you know, the first, especially the first couple years, uh, we were together, you know, there's just, there's just times that you're homesick or, or he's, in a big house all alone and just, uh, you know, and I've been gone for four and a half weeks and, uh, you know, it, it's, it can be, it can be a challenge a little bit or, um, you know, he's, um, got the flu or he's sick or something and I'm, you know, in Cleveland and, and, uh, you know, there's really not much I can do and you feel kind of helpless or whatever. Um, but you learn, you know, uh, through the years you learn, you take the good with the bad and, and as, as I got a little more seniority and, and things changed a little bit with travel, especially in 2000 when, 
Um, we combined the league. So, you know, I, I, instead of going to California, just to, just to Oakland and Anaheim, you know, I'm, I'm San Francisco and LA and San Diego and, you know, I can hit them all. And, and you're, 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 you know, uh, you're in different areas of the country, a little longer, uh, shorter trips and stuff, whatever, but it just made things a lot easier. Um, but still I, I'll, I'd be lying if I didn't say, even after all the years that we were together every spring, right before about uh, two weeks or so before I would uh, report for spring training, we both kind of got the blues a little bit because we knew what was coming up. You know, baseball is definitely a, a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's uh, in March, October seems so far away. Um, and, and, and even though we'd been through this year after year after year, you're just a little down just because you know what's coming up, you know. And, but, 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 you know, we dealt with it and uh, it's all good. Your story reminds me of that movie Fever Pitch. That's I was trying to look it up right now while you're talking. Right. But you know, when they meet, it's the off season. Right, right. And then and he's like, Hey, well, I'm gonna be it's gonna be different when the season starts. And right. you know, she's like, That's fine, that's fine. But it's it was way different than she expected it. So that's kind of how it was for you guys. Did he ever be like, man, I didn't realize you're going to be gone this much. <laughs> exactly. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, there were times, and again, I write about this in the book, there were times that he'd come out, like, you know, there's one time in Chicago, I'm staying at the same hotel with my three uh, partners. Uh, we uh, stayed at the same hotel in Chicago, most guys did. So we knew a lot of the staff there, you know, front desk people and uh, managers and whatever. Well, Mike comes out, and and so um, you know I, I smuggle him in, so to speak. But like we're going down to uh, to go to, go walk to lunch or walk around or whatever. We took separate elevators. We 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 went down uh, different escalators. We went uh, out different doors. And, and, and again, I think of it now, and it's so demeaning, and like we're second class citizens or whatever. But the, the fact of the matter was. I didn't want to run into one of my partners. Oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, this uh, uh, friend of mine, Mike from Portland, or you know, I, I mean, just I just it would be best if the, you know, he, he was uh, he was stealth. I mean, I remember the the um, uh, we ordered room service, and uh, when the guy comes to, to, to deliver everything, Mike goes into the bathroom because you know we there's two guys and there's uh, there's one bed in this room, and and again, I look back on it now and it's insane, but at the time it 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 was uh, is what I did. And uh, he delivers the food and stuff. He takes off. I'm fine. So Mike comes out. I pour the wine. We're dishing up. We're, you know, we had a couple bites. The wine's poured. And all of a sudden, the door knocks. It goes, room service, I forgot to uh, give you your uh, bread, you know, your rolls. <laughs> so Mike gets up goes in the bathroom. <laughs> and I go oh, open the door. You know, now it's obvious we've already started eating. And uh, it's the same guy. He comes in. He sets him down. He, he, someone's, whoever it is, is in the bathroom. And he kind of looks at me like, <laughs> what? just this puzzled look, you know, Hey, thanks. You know, I mean, and he leaves and, you know, Mike comes out and we start laughing. I said, what are we doing? I mean, you know, <laughs> this is so stupid, but, <laughs> but, but again, it, it was a different time. Um, and I was, um, I was just, uh, I was, uh, still paranoid uh, and, and very much in the closet with my, with my baseball life. So, and it's come full circle, uh, you know, since then, but, um, yeah, that's, that was the way it was in the eighties. Well, Dale, I appreciate you coming on. That's all I have for you today. Sure. Um, where can people find you, and where can they find that book? Well, uh, I have a website, uh, umpiredalescott.com. Uh, just went up uh, a few days ago. Uh, I'll have my schedule right there. Uh, there's a bunch of. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm. I'm hoping to go to a lot of MLB Pride nights this year. I'm booked, uh, confirmed in two of them: San Diego and, and uh, Seattle. 
Um, I'm still waiting to hear from uh, uh, L.A., San Francisco, uh, Arizona, the Mets, uh, uh, Washington, D.C. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident I'll be going to those, uh, but until they're confirmed, I won't be putting them on the schedule. Um, And then then once we get those confirmed, we're going to have some book signings in those cities when I'm there. And then there's another uh, swing in May. I'm going to be going out to Boston and and hopefully Toronto. So anyway, they can find that on my website. Uh, And then I also, if anybody actually uh, follows me on uh, Facebook, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, post it on there also. All right, Dale, I appreciate you coming on and we appreciate all of you listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.